Welcome to our newest Hearts Unite the Globe hug patrons. Annie Olchek, we sincerely appreciate your support. Thank you for joining our community and making a difference through Patreon. Judy Miller, thank you for being our first Buzzsprout supporter for Bereave But Still Me. Buzzsprout started a new program where you can actually support the podcast of your choice. There are so many ways you can support Hug. All you have to do is visit our website, heartsunitetheglobe.com, to see how you too can help empower, educate, and enrich the lives of individuals in the CHD and bereaved communities. Thank you all for your continued support. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, featuring your host, Anna Jaworski. Our program is a program designed to empower the CHD or congenital heart defect community. Our program may also help families who have children who are chronically ill by bringing information and encouragement to you in order to become an advocate for your community. Now, here is Anna Jaworski. Welcome to the fourth season of Heart to Heart with Anna. Our theme this season is Tales from the Trenches, and we have a great story to share today. It is not uncommon for children who have undergone open-heart surgery to have some developmental delays. Are these delays severe enough for them to qualify for special services? What happens when our children with congenital heart defects have developmental issues, but they aren't delayed enough to qualify for early childhood or special education programs? What recourse do parents have? Will insurance cover the cost if the school district will not? Today's show is entitled, Falling Between the Cracks, When Children with Heart Defects Have Educational Issues, and our guest is Carla Sandoval-Barba. Carla Sandoval-Barba is the mother of a son, Isaac Barba, who was born with a critical congenital heart defect. Isaac was born with tricuspid atresia, transposition of the great arteries, hypoplastic right heart syndrome, ventricular septal defect, and an atrial septal defect. Carla attended Mount St. Mary's College in Los Angeles, California. She earned a Bachelor of Arts degree in English and a Master of Science degree in Education. A teacher for 16 years, most of her experience was in the upper grades. Four years ago, she decided to teach kindergarten. Although this was something she previously feared doing, she decided she needed to accept the position to better understand how she could help Isaac once he started school. Isaac inspired Carla to learn and grow as an educator. Carla is also the mother of four other children, Caesar, Jessica, Andy, and Veronica. Watching her children grow and develop as a mother and an educator, her greatest wish has been to see them all successful. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna Carla. Thank you, and I am happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm so happy to have you, too, because, as I'm sure you know, I'm also a teacher, and I have seen so many times over the years where there were children with just a little bit of extra help who could have gone so far, but they didn't have enough of a need, according to the school district, for them to qualify for special education services. So I think this show is going to be really informative for a lot of parents. I hope so, yes. I saw in your bio that you said you fear teaching kindergarten, and yet you did it anyway to help Isaac. Can you tell us what kind of problems you were noticing as Isaac was growing up that made you believe that he might need some special help? Well, when Isaac had his first corrective surgery, he came back on ECMO, and in the interstate, he was cyanotic. When he started school, right about 
two, two and a half or so, I noticed, as well as the teacher noticed, that Isaac had difficulty recalling information. So, for example, let's say the color of the week was yellow, and they'd been doing yellow all week. Isaac would have a great deal of difficulty recalling what the color was. He would call it some other thing, sometimes not even a color, and that would hold true at home and in other sessions as well with the infant stimulation teacher and with the speech teacher when they would work with them as well. He wasn't able to hold that type of information. He also had difficulty with articulation. He wasn't able to adequately articulate responses to simple questions. And then in writing, he would oftentimes color outside the lines, and I mean like excessively outside the lines. And in younger children, you'd help them establish a boundary on the paper, and he really did not have any boundaries, even with assistance, was not able to stay within the boundaries of the space for whatever the task was he was doing, whether it was a coloring task or whether it was tracing his name. And it was well beyond, I think, what the norm would have been for his age. As a special education teacher, I can tell you that I know it's not uncommon for children to fall between the cracks, but how exactly do you feel Isaac may have fallen between the cracks? Well, Isaac was exited prematurely from his initial IEP with the school district. When we attended our annual meeting, they assured us that there was no assessment that could be given to determine any learning disability because I asked for one. They said that he was too young and those assessments did not exist. And I was told that he had met enough of his goals to be exited from that IEP. So I think that in our eagerness to return to some sense of normalcy and also trusting that the professionals at the meeting were looking out for the best interest of our child, we went ahead and signed off on exiting him from the IEP instead of pursuing due process as we should have. As a result, mm -hmm. Isaac did not get assessed. He went on to kindergarten and he struggled tremendously from day one in kindergarten. Wow. So he was in an early childhood program and they were giving him special services there, is that correct? He was in a school-based daycare program. Prior to that, as a toddler, Isaac had been receiving services from the regional center from the time he came home from the hospital and was able to participate. He started receiving infant stimulation, speech, occupational therapy, physical therapy. I also provided support. And then after that, as soon as he was two and a half, we went ahead and entered him into a school-based daycare program so that I could go back to work because I was working at the time. And we just made arrangements with the regional center to continue services that way until he was ready to transition into school-based services with the IEP. And so that started okay. when he was three, and he was exited from the IEP prior to entering kindergarten. Okay, so he started the early childhood intervention program when he was three years old, and when he was five years old, that's when they decided to go ahead and exit him from that and put him into regular kindergarten? Yes. Okay. But you feel that he wasn't really ready for regular kindergarten yet? Well, I actually don't feel he should have been placed in the special education classroom. Rather, I feel that he could have benefited from supports inside a regular ed classroom that could have helped him. Mm. I think if we had assessed his needs, those could have been in place, and that plan could have been in place 
for the kindergarten teacher coming in, if he had had the full psych assessment, then we would have had that information for the kindergarten teacher, and he wouldn't have struggled, the teacher wouldn't have struggled, and we wouldn't have all been wrecking our brains trying to figure out what's going on with Isaac and why isn't he making progress and why is he at the bottom of his class. Right, right, because it sounds like he had a mother that was right on top of things, and it sounds like before this, prior to him entering kindergarten, he had a lot of different professionals who were watching over him and trying to help him reach his goals, and he was achieving success. He was achieving success. Mind you, it was, it was slow. It was always slow, slow progress, but he had been making progress, and so the thing was, I think, it was so subtle I think he looked so normal that they figured that because he wasn't the absolute lowest student, that he didn't need the services or he didn't need to be assessed. But Isaac was working really, really hard to, you know, mm-hmm. to make very low twos. So when I say that, I'm saying he was pushing, if I were to average out or calculate a grade out, we're talking 50%, 60%. So it's not like a complete zero, but it's not a passing right. grade either. Right, right. But when you're so young, not as much is expected of them. You're not grading a test full of math problems where you can see he's only getting 50%. It's much more subtle than that in kindergarten. That's another issue that needs to be brought up because things are changing now with Common Core. A lot more is being expected of the children, and there are a lot of math problems that they need to do, and they need to be reading And writing. In October, they're given an assessment, and they're expected to be able to produce a sentence. They're expected to be able to illustrate according to a particular topic or something that was read. You have to be able to understand the illustrations. Isaac was not even able to illustrate a picture that was intelligible. Mm -hmm. This is fascinating, and I think that this is something that probably affects all parents of young children right now. So I can't wait for us to go into the second segment. It's time for a quick commercial break. But right before we go to break, I do want to ask one quick question, and that is, and I want us to come back to the Common Core question and all of that after the commercial break. But before we break, can you tell me what your biggest challenge has been working with the educational system? Because it sounds like there was some kind of miscommunication or some kind of breakdown in the educational system itself. So what did you find to be the biggest challenge, Carla? There's actually two. But I think the biggest challenge is getting Isaac assessed even at the school he was attending, which is the school where I work. I was not able to get him assessed for two years. And the second one is actually getting a 504 plan in place. There was not Mm -hmm. a 504 plan in place, all of kindergarten, all of first grade. Mm Mm-hmm after numerous requests on my part. Yeah, that's really critical. And I think part of the problem is that a lot of children don't get a 504 until they're middle elementary school at the earliest. A lot of them you don't see until they're much older. And they have had different degrees of assessment. And since he didn't even have assessment when he was in kindergarten or prior to kindergarten that was appropriate, no wonder they couldn't give him a 504 plan. So I can see where those problems went hand in hand and must have been terribly frustrating for you, especially considering you were a teacher in that very same school. You'd like to think there were some perks for us teachers, especially in a school that you're working in. You would like to think that maybe you have a little pull, but I have seen I would, I would where that's like not the case. I would have liked some professional courtesy. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think that's unreasonable. But, well, listen, it's time for a quick commercial break, but don't leave yet because when we come back, we are going to talk a little bit more about Common Core and what Carla has learned from this experience. So we'll be back in just a moment. 
Anna Jaworski has written several books to empower the congenital heart defect, or CHD, community. These books can be found at Amazon.com or at her website, www.babyheartspress.com. Her bestseller is The Heart of a Mother, an anthology of stories written by women for women in the CHD community. Anna's other books, My Brother Needs an Operation, The Heart of a Father, and Hypoplastic Left Heart Syndrome, a handbook for parents, will help you understand that you are not alone. Visit babyheartspress.com to find out more. Welcome to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today our topic is falling between the cracks when children with a heart defect have educational issues. And today's guest is Carla Sandoval-Barba. We just finished talking with Carla about her experience with having a baby born with a critical congenital heart defect and how she felt her son has fallen through the cracks in the educational system despite being a teacher herself. So Carla, before the break, we had just started to touch on some of the problems with Common Core. Can you tell us from your own personal experience, can you tell us what parents of children with congenital heart defects need to know in order to prevent their children from falling through the cracks, especially when the school they're going into is in Common Core. I think if a child is struggling to complete tasks independently, and independently is the key word here, if the parents have any kind of suspicion, they need to have an opportunity to be assessed and to have a thorough assessment. If they're having difficulty with attention, if they're having difficulty retaining information, if they're having difficulty with basic writing, holding a pencil, is your child constantly dropping a pencil? That can be frustrating. I frequently find I have to have six pencils next to Isaac because he continuously drops them. And then what do their drawings look like? Are they having difficulty with drawings, especially entering kindergarten and first grade? Drawings are critical. Illustrations are critical. They have to be intelligible. They have to be able to tell a story with their drawings. Children should not be allowed to be exited from their IEP without having a full psych evaluation. And if the school district doesn't want to provide a full and complete one, I would go to due process and ask that one be provided by an independent assessor. Mm-hmm. I think this is something that so many parents don't know about, Carla, is that I don't think parents are always informed of their rights. And this is something that I think we should talk about. Well, you know, Anna, I didn't know. I'm a teacher. My other children are already older. They're already in college. And I didn't know this. When I was given my booklet of rights, I sat there and I read it and I didn't understand it. And I went and I Mm -hmm. sat in my principal's office and I gave her this booklet and I said, I don't understand this. Explain to me what I have to do to proceed from here because I don't know what to do. I'm reading this. It's in English. I'm an English major and I don't (laughs) understand it. And she couldn't explain it to me. Oh, my gosh. I had a show in one of my previous seasons, and I had a wonderful guest named Lisa O'Connor who came on. And she is a parent advocate, and she does exactly what you were saying you needed. She explains to the parents what their rights are. She's there in the IEP meeting with the parent to help them to make sure that things are not going over their head because a lot of jargon gets thrown around, lots of terms and numbers and things that parents don't have experience with. And especially like in your case, you had raised a different generation of children and laws change over time. Exactly. And not only that, but you're given options to do things. I wasn't even sure. Like if I pick this option, what are the ramifications of this? That's mm-hmm. not explained. It just tells you you can pick right. option A, B, or C, but that doesn't tell you anything. It doesn't tell you what it means if you pick A, B, or C. 
Right. And what if A, B, or C fails? What happens after that? Do you have the opportunity to go back and try one of the ones that you didn't choose? That's such a critical thing. And what happens when you do sign off on that IEP? What are the ramifications of that? Because if you ask me, that's one of the more critical pieces of paperwork. You do not want to sign off on that until you are absolutely sure your child does not still need special services. Isn't that what your experience was, too? Absolutely. I definitely regret having signed this because Isaac is now in kindergarten and we still don't have an IEP in place. We are just beginning to process. Wow. So my son has gone all this time without services. Oh, my goodness. But I imagine, since you're a teacher, that you're working with him at home? Absolutely. Absolutely, and he's still struggling even with that. Isaac doesn't have to have a tutor for me to find. He has me. When he makes certain errors, I know exactly why he's making the kind of errors that he's making, and I can anticipate them and try to go back and reteach certain things that I know are fundamental to that. Whereas, let's say, for example, my husband, who is also a teacher, he's not a primary grade teacher. There's a big difference between being a teacher of fourth or fifth grade or elementary as opposed to teaching kindergarten, first or second. It's a very big difference, and you really have to anticipate the very basics that are coming. Why is is the child forming the letter this way? Why is the child spacing the words this way? Why is the child writing Mm -hmm. this word instead of that word. I mean, there's a lot of intricate knowledge that goes behind that, and Isaac has had a lot of help from me and a lot of patience because I'm able to go back and give him what he needs, and he's still not performing where he should be, you know, and, and it's been very frustrating. So frustrating. I can get everyone else's child to read in kindergarten by January, and I wasn't able to get mine to read, and I can't tell you how bad that made me feel because all of the students in my class were English language learners coming in not speaking English. Oh, Wow. And yet you were able to help their children be able to read. It's got to be unbelievably frustrating. And the worst thing is that poor little Isaac is probably exhausted. By the time he has done school all day long and then has to come home and do school again with mommy, he's probably overloaded. Mom's probably overloaded too. (laughs) It is. Actually, my husband and I, we have a good system. We alternate because it can be very frustrating. It's very frustrating and it's very easy to have a child's effective filter raised and then once they start to get that frustrated where their effective filter raises, there's no amount of teaching or help that you can give because nothing is going to be sinking in. Mm-hmm. If their effective filter so, is, is so high and they're so anxious, they're not going to retain right. anything that you try to help. So we try to be very well aware of that and to minimize Isaac's anxiety about tasks. And that's a difficult thing to do when he has to be aware that he's not performing like his peers are. And it, it probably frustrates him to see the little boy or little girl sitting next to him able to do something and yet he can't do it. It's very frustrating, as a teacher I can tell you, that they are absolutely aware that they are not performing, that their task or whatever it is that they've done isn't meeting the teacher's expectations because the teacher is circling the room. The teacher's giving feedback on everyone's paper. They're looking at their paper. Mm -hmm. They're looking at their neighbor's paper. Oftentimes, they probably feel like they need to copy. Isaac was constantly asking his teacher, am I done yet? Am I done yet? Am I done yet? Am I done? Poor thing. So what's the most valuable lesson that you've learned so far as far as how you as a parent and as a teacher can help your child? 
I think there are fundamental reasons for the behaviors that children exhibit, and we need to be aware of that. And it's very difficult to keep your patients when you know that there are certain expectations that are to be had for these children when they're in school. And when they're not able to meet that, we want them to do well. But things like avoiding tasks or excessive crying or things like that, they're not avoiding tasks to be malicious or things like that. The kids need help. Mm -hmm. There's a cries for help. That's not bad behavior. That's a plea for help. Well, we have to take another quick commercial break, but don't leave yet because when we come back, we're going to learn from Carla some of the key words that all parents and teachers need to know when it comes to helping their medically fragile children when we come back to Heart to Heart with Anna. Anna Jaworski has spoken around the world at congenital heart defect events, and she is available as a keynote or guest speaker for your event. Go to hearttoheartwithanna.com to learn more about booking Anna for your event. You can also find out more about the radio program. Keep up to date with CHD resources and information about advocacy groups, as well as read Anna's weekly blog. Anna wants you to stay well-connected and participate in the CHD community. Visit hearttoheartwithanna.com today. Welcome back to Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today we are talking with Carla Sandoval-Barba about how children who are medically fragile can sometimes fall between the cracks. And I want to thank you, Carla, for coming on Heart to Heart with Anna and sharing your story. I know that you are not the only parent who is having to face this situation. Right. We only have a couple minutes left and been throwing out some terms that maybe are not familiar to all of our listeners, like IEP and 504 plan. And I know that Lisa O'Connor did a really good job of explaining that in the show that she was on. And so I just want to give you a chance to explain a little bit more about what those terms mean and any other key words or jargon that parents may have expressed during some special meetings that they don't really understand what those terms mean. Sure. I think one of the things that you first want to do when you're having a parent-teacher conference, I think it's okay to compare your child's work to that of the classmates because the teacher's doing it. And it's okay to ask for a sample of, let's say, what the highest work is and what the lowest work is so you can have a really good understanding of where your child falls in that classroom. And the teacher can do that without showing the names of the other child or whose work is being shown. And once you've got a really good understanding of where your child is falling, if you have concerns about whether or not your child is meeting grade level, you can request an SST. That's, I think, the first step for the teachers is to have a student study team or a student success team where the teachers and other faculty will meet and discuss what are some strategies that can be implemented to help the child. And then Parents can always request an assessment in writing so that the child can be assessed if they have reasonable suspicion that their child may have a learning deficit in any area. And you can bypass the SST that way. Okay. And then I so or student study team, that's definitely a phrase that they may not be familiar with. Yes. Is that right? Yes. Okay. And what would be another phrase that they may not be familiar with? The IEP. Mm-hmm. And then the 504 plan. And IEP stands for Individualized Education Plan. Can you tell parents how they would come into contact with that phrase? You would come into contact with that phrase if you believe that your child may need assistance and you would like your child assessed for services, you can go to the school and request that your child be assessed. And then once the child is assessed, there will be a meeting during which 
the school will determine if your child is eligible to receive special education services based on the mm -hmm. data from the assessment. Okay, and you said that it took two years for Isaac to be assessed. Can you go to your insurance company and have your insurance company assess your child if you're seeing that the schools are not doing it in a timely manner? I did. I went to my provider. Initially, I was not helped. I don't think that my pediatrician understood. I think he just assumed that it was attention deficit, what I was referring to, and was, we were referred to a learning clinic, and that didn't help. So I had to actually seek out the chief of pediatrics, and that was more helpful because he was able to then hand-select doctors for me. Oh, wow. He was able to hand-select some doctors. Isaac was able to see a psychiatrist because he has a little bit more pull. He was also able to authorize Isaac to see an out-of-network therapist so that mm -hmm. that would accommodate our schedule a little better. He also hand-selected a developmental pediatrician. Wow, that's great. It's kind yes. of surprising, given his medical history, that this wasn't just a matter of course, that they just didn't think, this is going to be a kid who's going to have some special needs, and he's going to need some special help. But we parents are the ones who have to be the advocates for our children. I you would think that it's a no-brainer. Yes. Right. I think they just assumed that he was stable from a cardiac standpoint and left it at that. And so mm -hmm. pretty much I was left to have to do all of the running around on the Internet and trying to find out, am I going crazy or am I imagining these things or, or what's going on? Only to find out through my research that these are actually commonalities. Of right, right. Heart your disease. mom's gut instinct and your teacher's instinct that something is wrong and this needs attention. Ignoring it was not going to make it go away. It was only going to make it worse. You were right on target. But unfortunately, it doesn't sound like you had the kind of support that you needed to make it happen faster. So how is Isaac doing today? Well, I had to pay for my own assessment. I had noticed and I had believed that Isaac may have had some difficulty with visual processing based on the kinds of errors and, and things I had seen him do. So I went ahead and I paid for my own visual processing assessment. It was a very extensive assessment. They did three two-hour sessions, and Isaac was found to have significant and severe visual processing deficits in various areas. But he is stable from a cardiac standpoint. He does require vision therapy, a significant mm -hmm. amount of vision therapy that has to be spread out because the deficits are so severe, they can't all be addressed at once. It would be too much. Right. He does have difficulty with his peers at school, especially because of his stamina, not in terms of behavior so much as I think his feeling lonely or, or left out of activities sometimes, especially because his stamina and his coordination is a little different. So especially boys, they're so competitive. They play kickball. They all want to have the biggest kick. They all want to run the fastest. And when he's not able to perform in comparison to his peers, they tend to treat him a little differently. And he, sure. you know, he's aware of it. So I think once he actually became aware that physically he was different is when we started to notice a change in his self-esteem. So he mm -hmm. does have anxiety, so he does have to see a therapist for that. And he's struggling to keep his grades up. Other than that, Isaac is a happy little boy. And he loves life. He loves God. He loves his family, his home, and his pets. It sounds like there's hope. It doesn't sound like this isn't without a great struggle, but it sounds like there's hope and that I'm hoping that you can see a time in his future when maybe this won't be such. 
a struggle? Do you believe that these therapies are someday going to help him, if not totally catch up to his peers, at least be able to succeed? Absolutely. I think Isaac has been making progress every day, especially now that he's been getting the vision therapy and we've had that in place. It's helping him to catch up. He's not as far behind as he was had he not gotten the vision therapy when he got it. If I hadn't stepped in with my own assessment and started treatment without the school district's help, he would have been further behind. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So So trust your gut. It sounds to me that's really important to trust your gut instinct when you know something is wrong, even if the pediatrician doesn't agree with you, even if your child's teacher doesn't agree with you. If you know something's wrong, that it sounds to me like even though that assessment was extremely expensive, that you have no regret that you did that. I don't have any regrets. I'm completely happy that I did it because I know that he's been improving because of it. And I'll tell you that he did pass his vision exams. But visual processing is completely different from passing your vision Uh exam. You can pass your vision screening at school. You can go to the optometrist and pass their vision test. And visual processing is completely different. You're right, and the same thing can be true auditorily. You can have a child who can pass a hearing exam, a screening at the school, and then go and meet with an audiologist, and just being able to hear those different tones at different pitches or different loudnesses is not the same thing as auditory processing where you're actually listening to people talk and make some kind of sense out of what's being said, especially when there's noise introduced in the background. So... I think we need to be aware that our children can have passed their vision test, passed their hearing test, and still have a processing problem. So if you're still noticing a problem with your children, you might need to get further assessment. So how did you know where to go, Carla, to get that visual processing assessment? I went to the optometrist a third time and, again, had to restate what the issues were and was then given a referral to the College of Optometry where he there saw an ophthalmologist. Okay. And had and had okay. the assessment for that. So it sounds like you're gonna to have to be tenacious. If you know something's wrong with your child, don't give up just because one or two or ten people have told you no that <laughs> nothing's wrong. I, when you know something's wrong, keep asking. Yeah, absolutely Okay, listeners, so you see it can get really complicated, but that doesn't mean that you should give up. And I think the fact that you stuck by Isaac, you stuck by your gut instinct, didn't give up, that's what is going to enable Isaac to have the bright future that I just know he's going to have. And I can't believe it, but our time is already up. This has been such an interesting show and such a valuable show. Thank you, Carla, so much for coming on and sharing your experience with us. You certainly have had a tough time in the trenches, haven't you? I absolutely have, but Isaac is well worth it. He certainly is. He sounds like a precious little boy. Well, that concludes this episode of Heart to Heart with Anna. Thanks for listening today. Please find and like us on Facebook. Check out our website, Heart to Heart with Anna, and our Cafe Press Boutique. Follow our radio show. And remember, my friends, you are not alone. Thank you again for joining us this week. We hope you've been inspired and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart defect community. Heart to Heart with Anna, with your host, Anna Jaworski, can be heard every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time. We'll talk again next week.